This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Teo Perono. He's the CEO and co-founder at Allison Bob. Teo is a physicist by vocation and education and earned a master's degree from Ecole Polytechnique and a PhD in quantum physics from ENS Lyon. In 2020, his collaborative work with Raphael Lascan on bit-flip-protected qubit design was published by Nature Physics. Soon after, building on this groundbreaking work, the two founded Allison Bob with Teo as the CEO. Teo's mission is to escape decoherence and bring fault-tolerant quantum computing to humanity. Their company, Allison Bob, is building universal quantum computers to help industries and researchers solve their hardest problems. Their focus is to address the main challenge in quantum computing, errors. They've developed self-correcting quantum bits called cat qubits, which enable fault-tolerant quantum computing to run in any quantum algorithm. The company is based in Paris, France, with offices in Boston as well. There are now 80 people, of which 35 are PhDs. So welcome, Teo. Thanks for joining me. I want to also thank you for hosting me at your new offices in Paris a couple of weeks ago. Hi, Christopher. Thanks for having me. Delighted you're here. Looking forward to our conversation. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. And my objective is twofold, to give our audience a sense of what you did before you joined Alice and Bob specifically, but more broadly, just to orient our audience to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you could share with our listeners a bit about your background and your path so far, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied. Um, I pretty much always lived in Paris. Um, and um, I, I fell in love with physics uh, when I was still in high school, uh, doing some international young physicist tournament, working on experimental physics. And at the time, I also was passionate by low-level electronics. But I quickly realized that I was uh, maybe 40 or 50 years too late to actively contribute to uh, low-level electronics. Too many smart people had come before me. So I, I focused on physics and I uh, then uh, went to Ecole Polytechnique uh, and I joined Ecole Polytechnique uh, back in 2012, just when Serge Arroche and David Weinland had their Nobel Prize for uh, controlling individual quantum systems. At that point, um, it, it was pretty clear to me that um, this field of experimental quantum physics was much made in heaven for the physicist I wanted to be um, because it was not too math heavy. Uh, I'm good at math, but not that good to do, you know, string uh, uh, theories or high energy physics. But I was passionate about the foundation uh, of physics. And um Quantum physics, especially experimental uh, elementary quantum physics, was uh, perfectly suited to, to play with those basic rules of, of, uh, of nature. Uh, and so I specialized into that. And at the same time, we started hearing about um, the possibility of building quantum computers, actually. Uh, the story goes that I, I read about it for the first time in an IEEE Spectrum article back in the days. And then I, it was clear for me that that was absolutely perfect because I could 
play with the, the foundation of physics and yet go back to building electronics from the ground up, from the very uh, most elementary component uh, up to a full-scale machine. So, so yes, that's how I fell into uh, quantum computing, quantum physics, uh, and did my PhD into, uh, uh, in that direction uh, with Benjamin Huard in ENS de Lyon. Wow, fascinating. So our listeners are always interested in um, hearing from entrepreneurs like you, you know, how you came to start a company. Uh, I heard, based on speaking with Raph when I was in Paris, that uh, it took a little bit of convincing to get him to uh, join you in starting a company. Um, also, so tell us about that. How did that conversation go? And also maybe mention as part of this, you know, the, where the company name came from, right? It's a reference to two fictional characters often used as archetypes for, say, thought experiments in areas like cryptography and quantum physics. So tell me about talking to Ralph about starting a company and then coming up with the name. Yeah, I, I guess f f for me, the, the motivation was... Um, I, it was coming from the fact that it was absurd not to try anything. We had this uh, promising angle with uh, self-correcting qubits, uh, which were pretty new at the time. Um, we had a, a team of brilliant physicists uh, in several universities uh, working together in France to uh, to push this vision, but no one was, uh, you know, putting that project uh, to the um, on steroids to get it to the next phase. And so uh, I said, well, if no one is going to give it a, a shot, uh, I have nothing to lose right after my PhD. So so let's uh, let's give it a couple of years because otherwise, you know, you're never ashamed of uh, of having tried something ambitious and failed, but you you can be ashamed of not having dared to uh, give it a shot. So so yeah, that was my motivation. Um, and then. Getting Raphael on board was a, a long seduction because uh, I'm uh, we were working together for four years at the time already. Um, I knew perfectly how much I needed his brilliant mind, his uh, crisp vision of the challenges ahead of us, uh, and he was really a, an academic in the mindset. So I had to to do um, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of drinks uh, after the. <laughs> Uh, after the lab work, uh, getting him on board. And um, once I cracked Raphael and uh, got him uh, on board, what was um, very amusing was that actually all the physicists around us uh, joined. And that's how we, we started the company uh, pretty fast. Uh, with already a, a very strong team, I believe, um, to, to get the company up and running. Yeah, a great story. Now, <laughs> now on the second part of your... Uh, yes, of, please. <laughs> of your question about the name. Um, I guess <laughs> the, the the name was indeed a, a reference to the two placeholders uh, Alice and Bob used for point A and point B in textbook exercise, uh, a lot in cryptography, but we we came to cross those characters more in uh, quantum information for the experiments. And, and the reason why we picked it uh, as a, a company name was to avoid the word quantum. Because uh, you know the the word quantum is so <laughs> it's so polluted by pop culture to mean magical when there is absolutely no nothing magical about uh, the machine we're building. It's uh, uh, quantum mechanics is the best description of the of nature that we have today. And building a quantum computer is a, a well defined, very tough exercise uh, that we're trying to solve. Uh, so that's something we wanted to refer to. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. I love that qualifier. That's terrific. Listeners, take note. Uh, let's talk about cat qubits. Uh, they're described as being self-correcting. They're based on a new kind of architecture that automatically corrects the errors or better prevents them from happening. Again, sidebar reference, um, it's to, you know from Schrodinger's thought experiment, right, where the cat is somehow both dead and alive. And they're superconducting qubits, right? Worth mentioning that. Um, I read that rather than isolate qubits from noise, you use a two-photon injection dissipation scheme that maintains the system energy level and protects against T-coherence. So tell our listeners how, how this works, how you came up with this idea, even though it looks sort of counterintuitive compared to what most other superconducting players are doing. So, so quite a lot to unpack here. Uh, so the, the the main idea was to um, actually it does not come from neither Raphael or myself, but more from our PhD advisors and the, uh, the physicists that uh, uh, were there uh, back in 2012, 2013, like Mazia Miraimi, Zaki Lertas, Michel Deveray, um, and the 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 line of reasoning was to say that um, it was clear. How, much, how badly we needed uh, quantum error correction to make quantum computer a reality. And the, um, the redundancy approach, like the one followed by most players out there using the so-called surface code, which is a, a tremendous amount of overhead of redundancy to correct for errors, seemed way too brute force uh, to us. There must be a, a more elegant, more hardware efficient that uses uh, fewer resources um, way to, to, to do that. And the, um, the inspiration at the time came from applying the science of um, automation of classical system into quantum system. Actually, it was um, Pierre Rouchon's work with Serge Arroche on, uh, on, on uh, photons trapped in cavity uh, that led to the realization that we could apply all those methods of optimal control, autonomous stabilization, design for classical system uh, onto quantum ones. And that line of reasoning led to uh, uh, the cat qubits. And actually, the, the cat qubits is more than just the, the name is more than just a, a reference to uh, the Schrodinger cat. It's, um, uh, it's the fact that the states we're going to uh, stabilize are two so-called coherent state of a microwave resonator or oscillator. Um, and coherent state are almost classical state. They're the one you get straight out of a microwave source, uh, like, um, yeah, uh, like a maser, for example. Uh, and and the, the, um, the cat state we're, we're using a superposition of those two almost classical states. Uh, so they're, they're properly uh, Schrodinger cat state in the physics uh, meaning uh, of the, the thing. Now about the, the stabilization you, you mentioned, actually we're not correcting for all the errors, uh, only half of it. Um, what one must know is that there is two types of errors uh, that uh, come uh, into a quantum bit instead of just one for a classical bit. Um, you have bit flips, that switches zero into one and vice versa, uh, which is a somewhat classical error, uh, and a purely quantum one that is a, a phase flip that switches the, the phase of a superposition zero plus one into zero minus one. And so what we, we do uh, is that we um, autonomously exponentially suppress uh, the rate of bit flips at a linear cost on phase flips. So you, you, you gain exponentially and pay linearly without any prefactor. And this is very interesting 
uh, already. Fascinating. Wow. Thank you for explaining that. And I'd love to reference uh, the the work you described too. Maybe I'll we'll talk offline. I'll get links to some of the research you've referenced. We can put it in the comments or in my abstract when we post this. Uh, let's talk about clients, the perennial question, right? Are there projects underway or any proof of concept engagement you can discuss? I know it's very early days, but just want to get a sense from you of where this kind of uh, approach might be applied initially, where you're getting traction. Yeah, the... Um so the idea is Alice and Bob is a hardware company and we're building for, as you mentioned, a full tolerant universal quantum computer. So the kind of the ideal machine out there. And the reason for that is that Alice and Bob strongly believe there is no cheating nature. Uh, if you want an exponential speed up, you need to have a properly quantum machine. Um, and actually, you need exponential speed up to have a chance at beating classical machines because uh, our classical computers are already so fast. Um, and, and quantum computers are just beginning. So since we're, we're building for this very ambitious uh, machine, we have kind of a very blunt uh, view of how challenging it is to uh, build a complete system. And this very blunt point of view uh, is of high value for industrial players. So um, we, we now started also advising clients, um, industrial players, in how to... Um, uh, decipher the hype, how to put numbers on their use cases, how to understand, um, let's say you want to design novel batteries for automotive, um, how many quantum bits will you need to um, uh, to actually uh, gain a significant speed up? How, uh, what level of performances or fidelities do you, do you need? And that way, industrial players can have a, a, you know, a roadmap, a playbook uh, on when they should start uh, investing into quantum. Uh, and actually, most of the time, they end up concluding that uh, they should invest or right now because it, it takes um, a few years to get up and running and full-term quantum computing is coming uh, very fast. Right. So let's talk about the roadmap. I guess it would certainly be driven by client interaction, but what is the plan? How are you um, laying out the the future for sort of increasing number of cat qubits in your devices. Um, you know, what are the targets? Can you share some numbers with us? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so indeed, by engaging with clients, we um, uh, we get a better understanding uh, of how many, uh, let's say, uh, logical qubits or so error protected, error corrected uh, quantum bit um, do we need to deliver impact and. Uh, and um, the good news is you, you can start doing some very interesting things like chemistry uh, or, or material design with already just a few hundreds of those uh, logical qubits. Now, the question is how many physical quantum bits do you need to create to uh, uh, those, uh, those hundreds of, um, uh, of logical qubits? The whole point of our approach is to drastically reduce the amount of overhead needed. And so for us, uh, uh, it's just going to be a, a few tens of thousands uh, of physical quantum bits instead of hundreds of thousands or millions of uh, physical quantum bits. And now we're not there yet. Uh, to come back to your question uh, on the roadmap, we're currently uh, working on a four cat qubit device as the unit cell of our error correction code. Then we'll soon tape out a 14 uh, cat qubit device that will be up and running during next year. And this should already demonstrate full tolerance in the sense uh, suppressing uh, 
uh, I mean, correcting exponentially both types of errors, both bit flips and phase flips. And then by 2026, um, we'll have um, a 40 uh, cat qubit devices that will prove all the hypotheses of our architecture. Um, that means that this 40 cat qubit device, you'll be able to operate it either as a very long-lived logical qubit or as a handful of logical-ish uh, quantum bits on which you can demonstrate the logical gates, the routing, how you do uh, lattice surgery, uh, how you do real-time error decoding, the, the control electronics burden, uh, how you do compilation of algorithm while interleaving uh, cycles of quantum error correction. So for us, the tipping point is really this 40 cat qubit in 2026. Uh, and from there, we'll move to a sort of fabless um, business model where we'll transfer to uh, um, players that are specialized in, uh, in scaling quantum system uh, the design uh, to get to um, uh, several thousand and then tens of thousands of physical quantum bits. That's an impressive uh, roadmap. Thank you for sharing. In preparing for our conversation, Teo, I noted that Amazon's quantum roadmap has several mentions of the components that Allison Bob has designed. First of all, congratulations on that. Bravo. <laughs> um, what's what's the nature of that relationship? Is it tied to say the bracket um, instantiation or something else? No, not yet. The, at the moment, the the relationship is mostly uh, academic. Uh, we're, we we um, are both pushing um, for um, uh, this angle of uh, the new generation of quantum bits, uh, uh, which is a a big family called bosonic uh, codes, uh, bosonic qubits. And uh, and so we um, we we meet each other in conferences uh, and kind of have an indirect conversation through scientific papers. Um, we are not yet on Amazon Bracket. Um, we'll um, we'll announce later this year that one of our devices will be uh, in one of the uh, major cloud provider out there. But yeah, the the relationship with Amazon is mostly academic at this point. Uh huh. Well, so the segue is. Will you be licensing your technology perhaps to other computer companies? You mentioned there's an announcement maybe end of the year, maybe early next year. And will you be offering a cloud-based quantum computer with CAD qubits at some point? Is that the plan? The long-term vision for us is to be somewhere between ARM and NVIDIA, uh, to focus on where we believe we're best, which is designing better qubit, because we believe this is the enabler that would make quantum happen. Uh, we're not better than others at scaling or producing uh, systems. Um, so um, we're, it, it's likely that at some point we will end up licensing the, the technology, maybe. Uh, but in the meantime, for the uh, at least next five years, um, we need to showcase the performances of our architecture. So we're still doing everything in-house, from design to uh, fabrication to integration. And to showcase those performances, we have to put it out there. Because if you're going to claim that you have a, um, a proper logical qubit, you, you have to, to go beyond just the, the cover of nature. You, uh, you, you need to actually put it in the hand of users so that they can uh, verify by themselves the level of performances you can reach. Uh, and this is really our goal at the moment. Yeah, great. So any other news um, you want to share? You know, what's going on at Alice and Bob these days? Wonder if there are any say, recent contracts or planned product launches, new office openings? I know you just uh, moved to that new space, which is very cool. Maybe funding rounds or any other general yeah. news you want to share? 
Indeed, the, the team is growing rapidly. We're, we made some very strong progress in terms of architecture. We proved that we, uh, we need 60 times fewer quantum bits. We had some uh, lovely novel uh, qubit design demonstrated experimentally at the beginning of last summer. And now we, we, we keep growing the team. And indeed, uh, we, um, we raised money uh, about uh, 18 months ago, so we'll soon be uh, on the road again for an ambitious Series B, uh, even though we know the market is not what it used to be. So that's going to be challenging. Uh, but, but we've made some significant progress uh, from being a, a physics lab on steroids to being a, a proper, well-rounded company. So we have, a, I believe, a compelling story to tell uh, in that regard. Great. So I always want to talk about workforce. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Alice and Bob and finding talent. She have 35 PhDs. That's pretty impressive. Um, I assume you have affiliations with the terrific universities in Paris, maybe uh, Ecole Polytechnique and the Sorbonne is there. Um, how do you go about recruiting for the company? Yeah, so that's a, a very good point. So in the sense that uh, I believe, uh, and I'm not the only one, it's not uh, that novel, but uh, um, that talents uh, are going to be absolutely key uh, for us. And it's, uh, um, it, this is because it's a, it's an endurance race. Um, no one has yet the right answer to quantum computing. Um, and there's still so much room for uh, uh, smart ideas, a uh, better way of designing the machines, uh, better algorithm, better error correction code, better designs. Um, so, so we need great minds. Now, how do we manage to attract them um, despite not being able to match uh, US salaries? Is the fact that Alison Bob is playing um, a very open roadmap position in some sense. We're publishing a lot. Uh, we're, we're very transparent uh, about the type of science and our vision on how to build the machine. And that allows us to... Um, uh, collaborate um, greatly with uh, academia and that way to um, uh, seduce uh, physicists, uh, mathematicians uh, to join us. And, uh, and you're right that in France, uh, we, we're producing a, a good deal of talent, but uh, it's still somewhat limited. So we have to reach uh, internationally. Um, we've been doing not too bad so far. I'm pretty happy with the result. Uh, and, uh, but we're, we will still need to, to conquer, uh, more if we want to, yeah, you know, uh, be at the right level, uh, in terms of, uh, size, uh, to, to build on our initial momentum. No, very exciting. So we've come to the end I, and I always like to conclude the podcast by asking my guests for their vision of, you know, where quantum computing might be say in five to 10 years. And, more broadly, what kind of impact it's going to have on how we live and work. And we had a great conversation in Paris, and I hope you can sort of restate some of what you shared with me. I thought it was really exciting and brilliant perspective on where this might all be going, what kind of conversation you and I might be having in five years. I'm pretty convinced that in five years, we'll be fully in the full tolerant era of quantum computing. Uh, and this is where we know what we're doing. Uh, we have proofs. Uh, I believe in five years, we're, we'll be able to see machines with more than 50 logical qubits and a universal set of gates uh, on those logical qubits. And with that, uh, you can start beating without uh, any uh, doubt uh, the most powerful classical machine. And from there, as you increase the number of logical qubits, uh, you start uh, unraveling or addressing um, some very interesting, very deep 
scientific questions in material science first, or even in a broader field of physics. And as you increase the machine size, you can start doing chemistry, then biology, then you also unlock optimization, and then you go to, let's say, 10,000 or more logical qubits. And at that point, you have basically every use cases you can see around, from Monte Carlo simulation to short algorithm uh, and uh, and other uh, ambitious use cases, and I also believe there are going to be some significant progress on the algorithmic algorithmic side. Um, we've seen the recent improvement in short algorithm that was uh, hardly expected, uh, and I think there there is still a, a huge uh, potential for for better or more. Uh, quantum algorithm to, to leverage those machines as they uh, come to fruition. And you had also shared with me that you think it will have tremendous impact on uh, academic settings and pure research, which I thought was, to be candid, kind of novel because most of the players are focused on real-world use cases and generate attributable revenue, and which I think is terrific. But again, the, the kind of impact it might have on research and scientific discoveries is yeah. remarkable. Uh, I think the first step is to realize that um, a logical qubit in itself is absolutely marvelous uh, as, a, as an experiment because uh, it's going to be the first machine to escape decoherence. And in some metaphysical uh, sense, it means that you've built a machine that is uh, that has no causal link with the rest of the universe, no information leaking out of it. Uh, so just this milestone in itself um, is, is very powerful. And then um, as you, you get more resources, you can better understand uh, decoherence. What, is me what does it mean really uh, what happens at the frontier between the, the quantum and the classical world? Uh, and as you grow the machine, then you can start use it um, uh, for scientific use cases, uh, like uh, understanding uh, uh, spin chains, things like that, uh, phase transition. We're seeing more and more very deep uh, proposal uh, for a better understanding of physics, uh, thanks to the machine. Just like, you know, half a century ago or more, um, the, the, the birth of classical computer completely changed the way we looked at uh, statistical physics. Uh, and, and our understanding of, uh, of entropy and, and computation. And uh, that led to the whole field of information theory. So I think there are going to be some very deep and exciting uh, discoveries thanks to the machine and thanks to the quest of building the machine. Yeah. Well, thanks, Teo, for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I look forward to following your progress at Alice and Bob. Thanks a lot, Christopher. So I invite people to visit your website, alice-bob.com. Um, follow you and the company on LinkedIn for sure. Uh, you have a Twitter handle. There's content on YouTube. Follow the black and yellow cat is sort of the key. So Exactly. <laughs> right? So thanks again. I want to thank Teo again for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Teo. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And I invite you to please connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.